Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Carl's Roller Coaster Podcast. Hello, dear friends. How are you all? Today, I have Theo Vandeloup, great friend of mine. We've been friends for many, many years now. An entrepreneur, a business person, and guitarist of Eagle Q Talent. So many conversations in the past that should have been recorded. He's such a great mind. I love the way Theo thinks. I love the way he deals with life in general. And I do admire the guy so much. He is a very, very intelligent guy, a very intelligent person. And we're going to tap into subjects here that you probably wouldn't expect. Okay? So stay tuned. Listen up, because this is a very, very, very cool conversation I've had with my good friend, Theo Vandeleer. Hello, Theo! Welcome to the roller coaster, my friend. How are you? Hey, what's up, Cole? All good, and you? I'm very well, my friend. I'm enjoying a little bit the summer here in Britain. We had uh, this heat wave uh, a week ago, and it's really funny because... Uh, I obviously lived in Brazil for so many years and you live in Rio, so like 35 degrees Celsius, it's not that much of a trouble for Brazilians. But when it comes to the Brits, uh, they create all sorts, all, all sorts of different uh, warnings for, for, you know, yeah. for, the, for, for, for the public. And, uh, but yeah, it just lasted for like literally like three days and now it's gray outside, but the temperature is good. How's things in Brazil? How's things in Rio? It's so good. I'm actually in Sao Paulo right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, the here it's a kind of a weird winter. Uh, usually used to be way worse. Uh, like as you know, as you said, I was born in Rio, so I spent most of my time in my life in Rio. But I've been living in Sao Paulo for a few years now, and the winter here usually can be really bad. But for the last three years, it's like it's not really winter, man. It's just a little chill at night, but but it's not like that cold anymore. Do you think there's uh, there's uh, anything to do with climate change, perhaps? I know yeah, it's a bit uh, of a rhetorical question because, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, do you think there's any involvement with that? Yeah, I do think so. I think that that, that climate is changing everywhere. Uh, it's uh, the rainy seasons are are off place everywhere too. Even in Europe, you know, I know. In the last uh, European summer, some festivals had to deal with rain, which was not common for that time period, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's crazy. We we had here uh, 38.7 degrees recorded last week, which was the hottest day ever recorded in England, ever. So that's pretty crazy if you if you think yeah. that the temperature, the highest temperature before was recorded in 2015 and it was 35.7. So that's like an increase of three Celsius, which is crazy. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, how was uh, your upbringing in, in Rio then? Because you obviously uh, have uh, Danish citizenship. You, 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 you have dual citizenship just like myself. You have uh, family that comes from uh, uh, from European background, basically, from, from the Netherlands. So tell me a little bit about how was uh, growing up in Rio and uh, how did uh, your family somehow end up uh, moving uh, to Brazil at, back in the day? 
Yeah, well, the, the, the moving to Brazil part goes way before I was born. Uh, actually, it was my, my grandfather and my grandmom, who uh, both were Dutch. And after the Second War, you know, there was a lot of uh, Europeans going to South America because nobody was sure the war was over. So there was a little fear in the air that it might come back. And so my, my grandfather and my grandmother came to Sao Paulo and they had actually my father here and other five kids. And after a few years, they saw that the war was over indeed. And they went back to Holland when my dad was like 11. And after, after my dad finished university in Europe, he decided to visit Brazil again because he's never been here since he was 11. So when he was like 20 something, he was like, okay, I want to check out how is the country where I was born. So he got a job offer to work in Rio and he moved to Rio. That's when he met my mom back in 79 or 80. And I was born in 81. So the rest of his family all stayed in Holland. So my dad came by himself. And so he had me and my brother here. And I grew up in, in Rio. And I mean, childhood in Rio was, was pretty cool, you know, having the beach uh, nearby. So that was a constant part of my life, going like every weekend to the beach and all that. And when I started playing music, that was, that was a little weird because the, the rock scene in Rio is really weak. Uh, although there, although many uh, artists there are already established, they moved to Rio to live there. But like the, the upcoming rock music scene, it's it's very poor in Rio. You know, it's it's weird, and maybe because of the beach, maybe because of surf is so big, so it's like people are more focused into that. You know, so I grew up there, had a band there uh, with Rafael, who is now in Eagle Cube Talent with me, and you know, well, actually spent some time with me in Rio, went back in what the two thousands. Yeah, it was. It was back in 2005, I believe, 2005. And I remember yeah, that, that was when that was when I, I had that band with with Rafael going. Sayowa, right? Sayowa, yeah. That that Andreas from Sepultura produced uh, an album. Yeah, yeah. You and, and you guys yeah, end up touring Europe. And, you guys end up touring yeah. Europe and playing festivals and things at the time, didn't you? Yes, it was uh, we did a. Uh, Tour with Simple Tour in Europe, and we toured some clubs, played some alternative festivals. It was pretty fun, and this I, was back in two thousand and eight. Mm, yeah, I remember. I remember when I was in Rio um, at your apartment back then, and you showed me that documentary called "What the Bleep Do We Know." And yeah. and I remember like watching that, and that being something that really, really, really influenced my. Uh, my perspective and my way of seeing things in life. I mean, I was always very spiritual myself, uh, coming from my family. I have a background uh, within spirituality. My mom is a true believer and my dad, we're all Catholic, so I grew up in this very um, Catholic uh, household. But, uh, but I remember watching that with you and that like, it was really like, you know, game changer in many ways, you know, very, very interesting documentary. And we're going to get into that later on. Yeah. But um, so being in Rio and then, like you said, you know, difficult uh, kind of rock scene, especially for 
uh, up-and-coming artists. Um, how did you end up getting involved into, where, where did the mindset for becoming uh, an entrepreneur, entrepreneur yourself, like, you know, because you basically uh, hosted and managed and worked on a very big festival back in the day, didn't you? You and Raphael together. Yeah, yeah. well, so because, well, first, I was very, uh, how can I say that, ambitious with the band, but not, not, not in a money, not in a greedy way, but in a money sense, you know, not in a greedy way, but much more on like, I wanted to be big with a band. And I had no clue how hard that was and, and how much you need to get done. But the point is, the point is I was very ambitious. So I, I, I figured, you know, I need my band. When, when you have a new band, one thing that you know is that you need to spread the word and you need to play in front of as much people as possible. And when you are young, like I was the, around that time, I was what, like 24 or 25, but I was like, uh, well, I, I had no clue everything of everything that is involved to make a band happen. You know, now, now I learn much more about it, but back then I was basically thinking, oh, we just need to play with bigger bands and then it's gonna happen, you know, something like that. It's not that simple though, but, Back then, I thought it was so. I was like, okay, so if we need to play with bigger bands, and, and it was kind of hard to get in uh, in big tours in Brazil, like when when U.S. bands or European bands would come to Brazil, it was really hard to get on, on the tour. So I, I I kind of figured, you know what? Let's put a festival together and let's us hire the bands because we know some some players in the market and we already knew some bands from playing Europe. And I was like. Let's put a festival together and we play. So that's kind of how it started. Uh, so basically, in the beginning, the the drive was to make a festival where we could play, you know, and, and bring bigger bigger bands to headline and everything, but that we could be on the lineup. But well, running a festival is no joke. It's no easy job. It's, it's actually extremely stressing and a lot of pressure and the whole time, you know, from from booking the talent, booking the artists, you know, to ticket sales and promoting and, and production and everything. So very quickly, we learned that we couldn't handle both, you know, keep doing the band and the festivals. We learned that was pretty hard. And at the same time, the festival was, was developing aggressively and we kind of, uh, we broke the band. We, we go, me and Raphael, we went like, okay, we need to focus on this. And that's what we did for a few years. Then, as you know, the festival got big. We ended up being for a few years the biggest festival in Brazil. Rock and Rio was not around. So we had bands like Rage Against the Machine, Dave Matthews Band, Linkin Park, Queens of the Stone Age, Peter Gabriel, Black Eyed Peas, Snoop Dogg. I mean, so many artists, uh, Kings of Leon. We had, it was big. And yeah. how did you how did you guys back back then how did you manage to get in touch with all of those um all of those artists how did you manage to uh, kind of like obviously to fund all this as well to to raise the money to 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 get this festival done i mean i can only imagine how 
how much money was involved and not only that but like a the context the per on, yeah, on the personal level that i actually am more interested like how did you earn somehow people's trust because back then you were still kind of like getting into the game as per se yeah well you you build you build up step by step you know um we started with a small festival then uh we delivered it you know with smaller bands and everything like a smaller place and then the next year you do a little bit bigger and because you already delivered the first one it's easier to get uh, some level of sponsorship you know and when you grow you need to get investors so that's that's kind of how we did and then when we went really big like when we went to this the those uh huge lineups we had a partnership with advertisement agency in Sao Paulo, a big one, and basically our deal with them, they wanted they wanted to do a festival anyway. Uh, actually, they in the beginning, the, the agency owner's idea was to, to bring the Woodstock brand. He wanted to do a Woodstock in Brazil. And because we were doing our own festival, he, he came to us and he said, look, I want to partner with you and, and do Woodstock. And we go like, well, listen, we have our own brand. It's going really well. We want to go camping next year we we are planning to do in the countryside with a camping area so that's what we're going to do and he really pushed us and, and proposed us he said you know let's do this uh i do the festival with me and i'll be responsible for getting the sponsor and the funds because when you go camping area when you go like seventy thousand people a day that's really expensive so mm -hmm. he said he would take care of sponsorship so we said okay and in the beginning, the idea was to do Woodstock. Uh, we went to New York a few times negotiating the Woodstock brand. Uh, I ended up doing a lot of uh, the negotiation back then. And at some point, I mean, the, the Woodstock group, they are, it's complicated. Uh, there are people, they are super cool. And actually Jennifer Roberts, she's, uh, her dad was one of the main partners and Jennifer and her brother own uh, the majority of the brand. She's super nice. I'm, I'm still in touch with her to this day. Like literally I spoke with her a couple months ago. But there's, a, there's more people on the decision board and, and it's not simple. It's just not simple to get done, you know. And then at some point they were asking for a license fee that was just too much that would not make sense. And I remember me talking to Jennifer and I was like, look, I think this won't fly. You know, this is just not making sense. And, and, and she goes like, man, I agree with you. I don't think you should push it anymore, you know. And that, that was funny because we ended up not doing the business but being friends. <laughs> uh, like for a while we were really close. And I, I suggested, I mean, we, me and, and, and my partners and my company, we suggested to, the, to this publicity guy, his name is Eduardo. We suggest, look, man, let's just let's just make a new brand. You can use ours, or you can make a new brand. And he didn't want to use ours because he didn't want to. I think he didn't want to add value to our brand. So we just started a new brand that was called SW That stands for Starts with You. And this is the festival was about sustainability, you know. So what's kind of the vibe he wanted was like back in the day, Woodstock was about peace and love, you know, and no wars, you know, make love, not wars. And this, in this age, he felt like, you know, now should be about sustainability. So that was the festival was all about, man. When it became really big, you know, to answer your question, 
uh, regarding the funds and the money, it came from mostly from uh, from the advertisement agency, you know, from sponsors and also from broadcast deal deals and this kind of stuff. And uh, so the SW had what two two editions? Was it two? Yes, it two. was two editions. Yeah, and three days, five thousand people each day. Three days each edition. Right and. Um, ultimately, what what led basically to? Well, I'm not so interested in actually knowing why it didn't carry on. But if you don't mind, just telling us a little bit uh, about the reasons why there was no third edition. But then, what did you get yourself when it comes to music? Uh, how did you? Wh what were you involved in between that time that SW basically faded away and up to the moment that? Uh, you got together with what is now Eagle Kill Talent. Well, uh, uh, let's go by parts. The my, my role on on the festival and on the on the whole production was dealing with the artists, the international artists. So my role was to be in touch with the agencies, managers, and the artists. You know, book the headliners, book the the book the talent. You know. And you also asked me before uh, how how did we manage to reach you know those those bands and artists, and basically was also a, a work of building a relationship with the agencies because the way this business works it's not like not many people understand but the way it works is an artist or a band usually they have a manager who runs their career who helps manage the career and build up the career. You know, that includes uh, looking at uh, tours, uh, the record, deal, uh, record deals, uh, merchandise, publicity. So manager takes care of the 365 aspects of the, of the, of the band, of the artist, you know, if you will. So the agent only sells the shows. The agent is responsible for selling the shows. So those two, uh, how to say, characters are very important when you, when you, when it comes to um, the the artist's career, you know. And then of course you have the label, but that's that's another game. I'm talking now specifically about what I did on the festival. So I would be the guy. The, the manager cannot sell a show; it needs to go through the agent. You know, that's kind of, that's a law actually in LA and some other. I'm, I'm not sure how it is in Europe, but it still is the same format. So you have a manager and an agent. So my work was to to develop the relationship with the agents and managers and bands, and you know get the deal done of bringing them to play our festival. And the way we got them was like like I said, building up the relationship. You know, going to LA, New York, and London at least at least a couple times a year. You know, to shake hands and to look in the eyes of the agents, you know, and basically there are, I would say, four to five main agencies in the world. And basically, probably 80% of the big bands are in two of those agents, agencies, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a very, it's a very small circle. And I end up entering that circle because, I mean, we were doing the festival, we were delivering it. So uh, I de developed a relationship going there every year, like I just said. And 
they don't give you the big ads right at once because they don't know how solid you are. But once you do like two years of a well-done festival, then they start giving you bigger bands, bigger acts, just because they don't want to risk it, you know, to, to, to give a date of a big band and then you don't deliver it and then they have a big problem in their hands. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I was the one uh, calling uh, London, New York, and LA every day and exchanging emails and having no time to sleep at all because the time differences don't allow you to sleep. Like when I would go, when I would go to sleep, I would go to sleep when LA was leaving the office, and that was around almost midnight in in, in Brazil sometimes. But four hours from that, London was already waking up and working. So. I, it was very stressful for me because it was like the adrenaline and the rush of getting things done and, and, and getting the acts and talking to agents and, you know, and everything can become a huge problem. Uh, so that was very stressful. Uh, were, you doing, were, you, were you doing this exclusively back then? Yes, just that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way you can do anything else, man. When you're that involved with that, there's no way. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then... The, re- the reason it, it, it how do you say, it, the festival didn't kept going was basically because the advertisement agency that we were uh, working with, they, for the third re- year, that we, when, we, when we were planning to do the third year, they didn't manage to renew uh, a couple of sponsors. I mean, the main ones, one of them, it was a big brand that left Brazil. They just decided to leave the market. And the other one, I don't really know why. I, I really, I don't really know that part because I was not involved in that. And to tell you the truth, I was kind of glad that it happened because although it was an amazing feeling to have like Rage Against the Machine on stage and watch that from stage, I wasn't really happy, man. You know, I really wasn't happy doing that. It was too much stress, and uh, my feelings that it just wasn't meant to continue. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a weird feeling too, because well, at that point, I mean, when we are talking, when we are talking uh, that festival with that size, you know, when it was that big, I was already not playing guitar for like five years. You know, I didn't wow. even know where my instruments were. I didn't know where my equipment was. My gear was bored. bought. How do you say? Borrowed. Uh, I, I I I landed my gear. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to studios and friends, and it was all over. And I didn't even know where it was. Like I knew, I knew some guitars were in a uh, friend's studio. I knew some amplifiers was in another friend's studio. I didn't know where my stuff was. I could, for a while, I was so stressed with dealing with that that I couldn't stand music. I just, I just couldn't listen to music anymore. I was just so sick of the whole thing, the whole environment. You know, and. and not just not just this world of agencies and managers that too, but also like local partners here. Some some was driving me nuts. So my iPod back then I was still uh, using iPod. My iPod had no music. My iPod was just like uh, meditation and quantum physics. Uh, how do you say speech and this kind of stuff? I had no music on my iPod. I haven't listened. I think I spent like two or three years not listening to not listening to music at all. So for me, it was a weird momentum because, like I said, at that point the band was totally my old band with Raphael was totally over, uh, and 
I was a little fr frustrated because I would go to LA and New York and whatever and sit down with those big managers and agents sometimes have dinner with big bands. And I had no, I had no band of myself, you know, I had nothing, I had no work to show. I had nothing, you know, so it was weird because all this started because I wanted to play with my band. And then I was finally sitting down with those big players of the market, you know, decision makers and everything. And I had no band. They were looking at me just as a promoter or something like this. So it was a little, I was a little frustrated about it. But at the same time, I, I had acceptance, you know, of, you know, that's how life turned out to be. And that's, that's fine, you know, as long at that point, because I was listening so much meditations and this kind of stuff. And I was meditating and do uh, all kind of uh, self-improvements, you know, finding my inner peace and everything. At that point, I was like, it's okay, you know, it is what it is. I was in peace with it, a little frustrated, but in peace with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that that's when we get to how Ego Q Talent uh, came together, you know, if, if you want to go on that now. Yes, please, yeah, I'd like to, to hear a bit about how uh, how things uh, basically happened between you and, and everybody. You obviously knew Raphael for a long time. He was your old friend. Jonathan, you knew it, knew him for a while as well. But then how did, did the rest of the band came together? Yeah, well, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you can listen to my dogs. <laughs> they walk <laughs> around sometimes here. <laughs> but, uh, well, at that point, Jean used to play drums in Sepultura, and uh, I met him because we toured with Sepultura a few times. And so one day, Jim called me, and I was still I was still a festival promoter. So he called me, and he goes like, uh, man, I just left Sepultura, and Jean, I, we were both living in Sao Paulo, and Jean is not from Sao Paulo, and I am not from Sao Paulo, as you know. So... He called me and he goes like, look, man, I just left Sepultura. Uh, not sure what, what I'm going to do with my life, but uh, I figure maybe we can have a coffee because you are also not from Sao Paulo. I'm not from Sao Paulo. And I'm kind of deciding if I'll stay here or if I'll go, you know, kind of uh, let's talk about it, you know. And you could tell he needed to, to find a direction of what he's going to do with his life because he had already two or three kids back then. And Jean started the fatherhood early, hmm. so he had three kids and, and and a wife. So he was like, not sure what I'm going to do. So he met he met me for a coffee, and we were talking about life. And he was telling me a little bit of uh, Sepultura and what happened and everything. And then at some point he goes like, and, and what are you doing? Where are, are you still playing music? I said, look, man, I can't stand music. <laughs> I said, what? I said, yeah, man, you know, just too much stress. You know, I'm writing, I'm rather meditate with my spare time and, and deal with this kind of stuff, which I really love. And, and he goes like, so you're not jamming at all? I said, no. He said, you, you, you're crazy, man. You, you got to get your guitars back and let's, let's, let's jam. Let's see what happens. So, I basically brought a couple guitars I had in uh, in Rio, and we start jamming. And you know, to make a long story short, we start liking the the song that was coming, the music that is, that was coming out of the jams. We had no singer; we had just the beginning was just me and him. And actually, we did funny enough, we did some jams with Raphael 
who is now in the band, but back then was just a jam, you know. But so me and, and Jean, we started developing some some ideas, some riffs, you know. So we started to meet like every week to develop some ideas and start to entertain the idea of, yeah, I know, maybe, maybe, maybe we're going to actually have a band. And, and since the beginning, I was like, you know, there's this one singer in Brazil that, in my opinion, is the best singer in the country and, and one of the best in the world. With, who is Jonathan, and, and, and I, I told you, and I know him for years, we haven't speak in, in like eight years, but I mean, we were very close, and the only reason we, we didn't speak in the last year is because he, he lives far away, you know, he lives in the south, and you know, Brazil is huge, but he's a good friend, and he's the best fucking singer in the country. And Jan was a little skeptical, he was like, yeah, not not sure if, because we wanted to sing in English. We already knew we wanted to sing in English. And Jean lived in LA for years. He had a band that went well there, did well there back then. So he was thinking maybe we should get an American singer, you know, because we want someone who can really sing in English. And and, and the, stand, the standard, if you want to play that level, you've got to be really good. And he was just not sure that that there was someone that, that could deliver that and we were talking already about have, having someone from the states to sing just because we want someone singing in english really really well and we didn't want to sound as a foreigner band and well anyway so we, we were jamming and, and and having some songs coming together and then i i was already really close with uh, john Domayan, the drummer of system of a down he's a dear friend one of one of my best friends and he came to, to Brazil to spend uh, vacations with me. He got, uh, he split with his girlfriend. He was like doing nothing in the summer. He was like, so I'm just gonna spend some, some time there with you. I said, okay, so come. Then he came and he didn't, he didn't know back then that I had a band or anything like that. So I kind of made him a surprise. I was driving, he, he knew I had a studio because at that point we, we had already built up the studio, which is like our HQ now. So I was driving him to show him the studio, and then when we were just arriving, I said, look, I gotta tell you something, I have a band, I'm gonna jam for you now, we're gonna play some songs we have, and he, he was like, what, you have a band? I said, yeah, I said, I didn't know, I didn't know you have a band, I said, yeah. And, and John, he's the kind, well, you met him, he's the kind of guy, he's just straight in your face, I mean, yeah. he's, he's straight in your face with his opinion, you know? Mm. And then he goes like, if it's a shit, I'm gonna tell in your face it's a shit, to everyone <laughs> in the band. I said, please do it. <laughs> so we entered the rehearsal room, and then we we played like three songs to him, and he was like, can you play it again? And then play it again, and then he sat on the drums, he started jamming with us, and he was like, guys, I think you guys have a diamond in your hands. I think this is I think this is really good. Uh, so we that for us was a big uh, how do you say motivation because I mean you have one one guy from one of the biggest rock bands in the last decade saying that, that your band is good, your music is good, you know, that guy knows at least a little bit about, <laughs> about, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. You know, if he had lines, all the major festivals in the planet, he must know something, you know, of course. So yeah. we were, we were like, okay, I think we are tapping something here. And that was around the time. So, well, so John, he said, count on me. If I can help you with anything, just count on me. And just keep bear in mind one thing, you know, that for me, I was very uh, worried about 
how I would make the trans the, the how do you say the transaction the tra the change the perception that people in industry had of me because everybody looked at me as a promoter as a, you know as a businessman and not as a musician you know many people didn't even know I, I was a musician mm -hmm. so uh, I hear sometimes people saying oh you know uh, you have so many uh, uh, contacts and the show business internationally that, that really helped the band. I'm sure he helped the band, but it was not simple in my head, you know, it was not easy because I was very concerned of how, it's like, it's something like, imagine if your dog is sick and then your best friend who is a cooker turns to you, he's like a chef of cuisine, he turns to you and say, Carl, let me, let me do a surgery on your dog because you don't know that, but I'm also a vet. <laughs> you would go like, wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, maybe, maybe I go to a vet, you know, because I know you as a cuisine chef. I don't know you as a vet, you know. Mm -hmm. Or so it was a little bit like that. I was like, how am, how am I going to deliver? You know, how am I going to call managers or agents and say, hey, remember me that I buy your talent and, and I have a festival? Yeah, can can you book my band because I have a band? And they go <laughs> like, do you have any idea of how many calls those people get from bands every day? And they are like. So that was something that in my head was like, I don't want to, and I don't want to lose the friendship. Of course. I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose the relationship. So like if I know those managers and, or, and agents and I just start telling them, okay, help my band, help my band, I will, I will lose a friend and you know, because they look at me as a friend and not as something to, to be asking favors the whole time, you know, this kind of stuff. And, of course, uh, it's a very tender, tender territory to touch. Yeah, those people are tired of that, you know, mm -hmm. they are tired of that. Can you imagine if you, if you are the manager of a big band, like System of a Down or the Foo Fighters or Metallica, if you, imagine if you're a manager of one of those bands, have you any, have you, have you any clue of how many people come to them and, and just ask for favors? Oh, I have a band, can you listen to my band? And then immediately they look at those people and they put them in a different place. You know, they're like, okay, it's just struggling band wanting mm -hmm. a piece of me, you know? Yeah. And I don't want that. I didn't want to go, I didn't want to change my relationship with them because I had, I was really close to a lot of people already. They were friends, you know, and they didn't know I was a musician. So it was weird for me. And, and people, people have no idea how this industry works. It's like everybody's very much focused in doing the work for their artists and, and that's their job. Their job is not to help develop your band. It, their job is to do the best they can do for their artists, you know, for, for, for their clients. So I, I was very concerned on how to, 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 to do the shift, you know, to, mm -hmm. So, well, I started just to, to give the information, you know, that, you know, I, I, I have a band now, I'm jamming, that's happening, and, and just, and I'm sure for many people in the industry, it was just like, okay, he's jamming, you know, it's not a real, it's not like, it's not a real band, it's just a jam. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, in my head, I was like, yeah, good enough, you know, it's important that they start shift the perception of Theo is a businessman promoter to... Theo, it's kind of um, artists, you know. So that's that's what I was trying to to shift back then. And well, I, I told you all this in parallel, just to, just to give you an overview of how the vibe was, you know, and and my concerns back then. But 
when John from System left the Brazil from that from that time period he spent here, like a couple weeks or something, maybe three weeks, we set down the band and we were like, okay, guys, uh, we need to find a singer, you know, because this is a real thing. I think that that John knows what he's talking about, so we should we should uh, we should do that. And that was also when we came with a name because we wanted to be a name that deliver the message by itself you know we want it to be something that that is true for us and like i said with all the meditation i was involved with and our our talks actually behind behind the plane you know behind the music part when we were just having a beer or doing a barbecue and talking we would be talking about uh the challenges of life, you know, the challenges of the mind, of the ego. So we wanted, we wanted a name that stands for it. And, and then we, there is this saying, too much ego will kill your talent. So when, when, when we saw that, we were like, okay, huh, maybe we can get those three words, ego, kill talent, you know, and just, and, and just use that. And that's how the, the, the that's when and how we, we found the name and, and decided that would be the name of the band. That's amazing. And, it's such a it's such a yeah, it's such a powerful such a powerful name and, and, and it's so true. The the meaning behind it, it's I mean, it stands for so much and uh, and the more and more that the band uh, is being uh, developed and the more and more that the band is getting out there. Um, it's it, it never ceases to amaze how how much people do enjoy the name and when they hear it and um, Relate. yeah, it relates yeah. to it exactly relates to it in a in a in a in a deeper level that sometimes people don't even stop and think about it. Which which brings me to to the point that um, you you mentioned it already several times that uh, you started meditating a long time ago and. You, you've been uh, connected and interested in, in, in those subjects of meditation and the mind and quantum physics for a long time. Do you recall, no. can you recollect when and how um, you started to develop an interest for, for those things? Is it something that comes from, from perhaps from your family or is it something that just... Um, Somehow, you know, when you showed me, for example, that that documentary many years ago, um, where where were you getting? Who was feeding you with with that sort of information, with that sort of content back then? And 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 then eventually you evolved, like you're saying, for, from uh, you know being that person that was extremely stressed, working with lots of different agents, and putting together this massive festival and taking a break from all of that and just simply like following uh, um, somehow um, uh, routines in, 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 in regards of meditation and, and spirituality? Well, yeah, I think I was born with that, with that uh, eager and that, and that uh, desire to, to, you know, to know more about those basic questions, you know, where do we come from? Where are we going? And what are we doing here? You know, I was just since since I was very young, since I remember, I was always very curious about religion and spirituality, and I was I was just very curious about that since since I remember. I mean, I remember when I was like already eight years old. I was already already 
like pretending I was older and signing books, uh, how do you say, signing subscription of books that talks about spirituality and, you know, and ghosts and, and this kind of stuff. And I was interested not only on the ghost story, the ghost story, but I was also interested in what's going on, you know? I mean, what's going on? If they exist, where are they, you know? And I was just very curious. I was just very curious. And I, I grown up in a Catholic environment and my mom was Catholic. Uh, she is, she's still, she's a little bit a mix of stuff now, but she, she raised me uh, as a Christian. And the interesting thing is that I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and my grandfather was very Catholic and my grandmom, my grandmother, it, this is now it's in the mother's side. I was telling, first you'll tell the story of my father's side, but on my mother's side, my grandfather was Catholic and my grandmother was, uh, how do you say, spirit? I don't know in English the word yeah, for that. Yeah, she, um, she practiced the spiritism. Spiritism, yeah. So, but it was interesting because my, my, they are both still alive and they're both still like that. But it was very interesting because my, my grandfather, he was like very Catholic and, and kind of not liking much that my grandmother had this spiritism side. So she would kind of hire from him, you know, <laughs> like she would just go, yeah, yeah, whatever, pretend that, that she was not dealing with that. Because there's this fundamental belief that is different, right? For Catholics, when you die, you go to heaven or hell. And in the spiritism, you, you need to develop. So you might reincarnate in earth or somewhere else. You know, it's just like a process of evolution of the spirit. And I actually believe in both, if you want to know. You know, I, I believe that, I don't believe you go to hell. I believe we kind of are in hell. And I believe our hell is in our minds, it's in our heads, you know, it's in our beliefs. And you can have a situation happen in front of your eyes and you can, that can deliver you straight to hell because you just feel all anxiety and a lot of stuff, or you can be peace. So I think hell and heaven are inside of our minds, on, on our, depending on, on our beliefs and, and in, in terms of what we give value to. And at the same time, I think that we reincarnate to become more mature to the point that we start, we stop uh, believing in everything that, that makes us suffer, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, anyway, so I grew up with, uh, with this extremely Christian environment, but at the same time, and, and Catholic environment, uh, and at the same time having my grandmom, that my grandmother that would like, on a side, she would tell us stuff like, how the spiritism works and, and a ghost is just a spirit that left the body and you know this kind of stuff so and I was very curious about both and at some point I just became curious about other religions too I mean what else is out there you know mm-hmm. and and it's very interesting because when you look deep enough and when you and when you search deep enough you will see that uh, basically all the religions, they have, they have some stuff in common, you know, and it's in the end of the day, it's very much, very much about, uh, forgiveness and about the attachment, you know, which kind of, which is kind of the same, right? Mm-hmm. Forgive someone. It's kind of to disattach yourself from 
you're believing that that person should not have done what they did. You know, mm-hmm. so what's yeah. the difference between forgiveness and detachment in that sense? You know, mm-hmm. so like like if I forgive you, I'm detaching myself of the idea that you shouldn't have done that, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So you 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 start you start looking that there's so many similarities, and your question about how do I get in touch with this material, like the what the bleep do we know documentary or or other stuff. It's it's so crazy, but when you are sincerely engaged, uh, and this is something just you with yourself or you with the universe, it's not related to any religion at all, but when you are sincerely engaged to find peace, and, and because in the end, that's the reason everybody looks for a religion, right? You're just looking to be in peace, you know? That's why. And when you are really committed to that, no matter what, and when I say no matter what, I'm saying you're going to have to let go of a lot of your beliefs, you know, and it's not easy to love, it's not easy to love, especially when people are not doing what they think they should be doing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so you just think they don't deserve your love, because love, it's very, and, and what, if, if it's not unconditional, is it love? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think love to be love, by definition, it must be unconditional. Otherwise, not love is a kind of a bar- bargain. You know, it's a kind mm-hmm. of a deal. You know, do what I want and I'll be good to you and I'll call it love. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so I think when you are committed to to really uh, find inner peace and you are committed to improve yourself and be able to love more, when you do that. And you might not even realize you're doing that. But the universe brings you answers, man. It just brings you answers. It brings you answers in form in a form of uh, a stranger talking to you on, on the supermarket line and saying something that you're gonna go, wow, that, that really made sense, you know? And, or I don't know, the cashier of a store where you're buying something is reading a book and then you, you look the name of the book and you go like shit, this name really resonates with, with what I'm looking for. And then you buy that book and it becomes a material that life brought to you. Or It's just crazy because it really flows. It really, really, really flows. And also the relationships. Because I remember when, when I was a promoter, and even with those players that we are talking about from the industry, from the show business, I just found myself so many times talking about all this that we are talking right now. So, like, I would be with this uh, big agent of whatever agency, one of the most important in the world, and then he would receive a call, and we would be hard for him, something personal, and then we start talking about forgiveness and, and love and all that we're talking about. So it's crazy because it follows you. You know, if you're committed to that, it follows you, and, and the opportunity comes to talk more about it and and make it more real for you. you yeah. Know? The more and more that uh, um, the more and more I, I hear podcasts, and and I've been listening to several different podcasts nowadays, uh, and you get to learn stories from all kinds of different uh, uh, important business people uh, out there in the world, especially people um, coming from Silicon Valley in California, and people that are like really. Um, forefront thinkers nowadays 
Um, it's it, uh, the, 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 the routine in the morning, the things that these people do, the meditation, the, the spiritual side of their lives and the structure that they follow. There's so many similarities. People are like, uh, the, it's very rare actually nowadays to, to meet people achieving things that on the eyes of others might be completely impossible because the impossible is just uh, simply not willing to, to lose, not willing to, to you know, uh, fight for something that, you know, you, you truly believe that you can achieve. And a lot of people are totally connected. You know, it's all about the diet. It's all about uh, the meditation. It's all about the spiritual side of, of individuals. And with that in mind, do you follow any morning routines yourself? Like, for example, the meditation. Is it something that you try and do it regularly still did you go through a phase of which you were meditating a lot and then that faded away from your life uh and um was there any any sort of goal with the meditation that you wanted to achieve did you uh want to get to a point where you know people a lot of people do meditation just to calm themselves just to bring their blood pressure down to just give some themselves like some like I myself to give some uh, uh, more control over your mind because our minds are always rushing back and forth back and forth and I do find on meditation that you know on the long run it's not, it's like everything else in life you can't expect immediate results you can't just sit down and then meditate for 15 minutes uh, three days in a row and expect something to happen because it's not gonna happen nothing's gonna really change immediately it's uh, like exercising as well or, 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 or diet you can't expect things to just change very quickly um, so I kind of like prolonged my my main question which was just basically if you follow any morning routines and what uh, 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 what did you try if you ever tried to achieve anything with meditation what would that be I'm saying that in, in my experience uh, what I learned is that and this is very much related to Advaita Vedanta not sure if you are familiar with that uh, philosophy but it's it's also very similar to Buddhism in many aspects but basically the problem is that you believe that you are something that you are not, right? And what what, what I'm trying to say with that is, uh, like, you are not your name, you're not what you're doing, you're not even your body, because all that changed the whole time. I mean, you, you haven't you'll have one cell in your body that is the same that was seven years ago. So our ideas are changing, our beliefs are changing, everything is changing the whole time. Your professional career, you know, it changes the momentum, everything changes. And if you are attached to any of those, you're going to suffer because it's not uh, constant, uh, right? So if, if, you're, if your peace of mind depends in everything that is constantly changing, that's not peace of mind, right? That's, that's suffering because you're going to be in fear, right? So let's say if you, if, like I, I have a band, right? If I think that my my peace lies in my band doing well, this is fear because I'll be in constant fear of the band not doing well, right? And, and at some point, it won't, 
because life is just like that. You know, some you have some good moments, some moments that are not that good, and that's part of the roller coaster of life. And at same at some point, everything will end, and you know that. You might not want to deal with it, but that's the crazy thing in our existence here is that one thing we know for sure it's going to end. So I'm telling you all this because there is one thing in you. There is a secure, uh, how do you say, a secure port, if you will, which is who you truly are. It's it's yourself. You know, it's your presence. It's, when you say I, you are pointing to this witness behind your eyes that looks to the life, looks to the world, looks to life, looks to everything. And that never changes. That never changes. I mean, if you if you remember a moment uh, a moment of your childhood, just just like really go to a moment of your childhood that you remember. And now, the sense of being there, it's the same sense of being here now. So the sense of me, the sense of I am here living this, it never changes from when you were seven years old till today. It's the same feeling of being present. And what I learned from my experience is that our main goal is to remember that that's what we are. That's what we truly are. And I'm saying this because it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy. It's like it's a, in a heartbeat. You are engaged with problems of the daily, daily life. You're engaged with, okay, what, what do I need to do next? I need to go to the gym. I need to eat this or that. I need to, you know, it's a bunch of I needs. There's, they are bullshit. All of them are bullshit because there is nothing you really need to be what you already are, you know? So... Of course, that might change the experience you're going to have in life. I mean, if you go to the gym and you eat right, you're going to have an experience in life of feeling better, you know, feeling more light. And that's fine. That's great. You know, you're more than welcome to, to go for that feeling. That's great. But that's not peace, right? That's just a feeling. That's just an experience that will go away. At some point, it will go away because at some point, well, at the end of the run, at some point you will die, but at some point you're going to get older. At some point you might, even if you're eating well every day, maybe one day you're going to eat something that's going to make you feel bad, you know, because even plants can make you throw up, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, but all that is fine. I'm not saying you should not do that. Just do whatever, just do whatever pleases you. And that's totally fine. But remember that what you truly are, it's the presence that is witnessing what you're experiencing. So what I try to do in my meditations is to go back to that place, to go back to the present, to the presence, to go back to the I am, to go back to this silence. And it's, it feels like a silence, you know, it's the, the sense of me, the sense of I, and you take, take away the name, take away the body, take away whatever your mind is saying you want, but just the witness. It's a silent witness. It's a silence that it's that is in you, which you can call life, maybe. And or soul. What it? Or soul, yeah. And the crazy thing is that you know what I'm talking about, and you know that everybody in the world have that presence. It's something so intimate, you know. It's so intimate of you. It's something that it's the, it's as intimate as you can get about yourself it's the sense of me it's the sense of being here 
And it's crazy because everybody has that. And you know it. When you look to anything that is alive, when you look to a dog, you can you can see in his eyes there is a presence there. And the crazy thing is that it doesn't matter your religion, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter even your species. There is a kind of a presence. And some say that's God, you know, that's identified with different, with different personalities. So to answer your question regarding meditation and daily routine, what I try to do is to be connected with that sense of being present as much as I can. And sometimes that's really hard, especially when your mind jumps in your mind in the morning. It jumps in, jump, jumps in your face in the morning going like, okay, I, we, you need to do this, 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 and that. Especially so, with all of the... We, we, we are never encouraged from, from the day we are born up till nowadays with all of the technology surrounding us. We are never encouraged in any way by the world to be quiet to sit still from the moment that you open your oh, eyes yeah. you are stimulating your brain in ways exactly. of which we have no idea it's it's because nobody it's because we don't really want nobody really wants that mm -hmm. that's the crazy thing because look when you are when you are in peace with that the rest of the world kind of doesn't matter it doesn't matter and well, some philosophy says that this is all this is all an illusion, right? The, the material world is an illusion, and quantum physics it's kind of proving that already that it's all it's all an illusion. That well, let's put it like this: if 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 it won't last forever, it's not really true, is it? It's just something that that's gonna pass. And how how true is that? Mm. Does your presence pass? Does it change? So it's crazy because you, ha you are something constant, you are something changeless, and everything around you change. Couldn't that be that what you are there is constant? That's, that's the true, and all the rest that changes and goes away, that's an illusion. Couldn't that be? Mm -hmm. And some philosophies, some philosophies said that uh, the reason what you just described happens. The reason that we, we, we go so fast, you know, trying to, to, to interact with the world, it's because if we don't do it, it stop matters. It's, it's a stop having existence at some point. So we, we, need, we want to keep it alive. At some point, you don't want to be, there's a part of us, and, and, and that's really interesting. That, that, that's when Freud's concept of inconscient becomes really, really, comes really into hand because a part of you, although you, you say, okay, I want to fit my presence, I want to meditate every day, I want to be in peace, but a part of you does not want that. A big part of you does not want that. A big part of you wants to be Carl or Theo. A big part of you wants to achieve things, want to look good, want, and all that is fine. We don't need to demonize that, that's okay. But just be aware that a part of you does not want to be in silence and in peace. It's just boring. Do you you know, you want something. Yeah. Do you think that that's that that's there's uh, something? To, well, th there is definitely a connection with everything that you just said, with the fact that um, we identify ourselves so much with the mind. We identify ourselves so much with the ego. We don't. We we we. we it's very difficult. We are not. Um, we don't learn. 
in school how to deal with this incredible thing called brain, our minds. What What is this voice that is always present there, that is always talking to us, and that is always creating anxiety and creating exactly. things that... And, and are you, and, and, but the thing is, the, the trick is, are you the voice or are you the one who is listening to the voice? That's a good point. Yeah, because what I found uh, is that the, you're not the voice. You are the listener. And the listener, regardless of what the voice says, the listener, it's always in peace. When he identifies with the voice, then, then, you, can, then you can have help. Mm-hmm. Right, because look, you simply are. There's no way the listener is not there in the mind. There's no way you simply are the whole time. What can happen is that you you can identify so much with the voice, so much that you forget that you're that, and then you start believing in the voice, and you start believing that you you should be doing this. You shouldn't. You should have more money at this point in your life. You should have more success at this point in your life, and then you start to suffer. Because you believe in that mind, in that voice. But in the end of the day, it's just a belief. It's just a thought. Mm-hmm. It's just a thought. But when you believe in that thought, it gives power. You give it power to, to, to rule your peace. And it doesn't matter what the thought says. If you don't identify yourself with the listener, you will suffer. Because this voice, it's, it's time-based, and it's based in things that might or might not happen. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It is it's a constant challenge. Man. It's a constant challenge, exactly. And, and, and like I said, like, unfortunately, we come, I'm not, I, I don't actually know nowadays how it is, but the educational system uh, in, in Brazil where we uh, uh, got our uh, fundamental education from um, and in Europe as well I know it in Europe that they don't have it any sort of um, subject in school dedicated to develop or try and encourage kids and even teenagers to control and to understand control wouldn't be the word i don't like that word very much but like more uh, to create an understanding of how this powerful uh, brain of ours works and 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 make connection with things that you might not even believe i always say that you might not believe in energy you might not believe in spiritism you might not believe in the magic that is just unveiling in front of our of ourselves in front in in front of our eyes on daily basis uh, i truly believe it's a, a it's a the cosmos and and the cosmic energy that surrounds us it, it is real we are all energy if if we zoom out from ourselves we we get to see that so clearly like all this orchestra this marvelous orchestra happening inside of our bodies you have the white blood cells you have the red blood cells they're all synchronized in this perfect uh, a symphony inside of you delivering oxygen to all your organs and just it, 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 it's it's life it's all alive those cells are all alive inside of you but you never think about hey white blood cells shall we fight this virus that's trying to you know tackle us down right here right now you never think about that that is happening automatically inside of you but you never see that but you zoom 
out of that. And then you have yourself, you have the body, you have this whole thing of which you can identify with, which you can see, which you can touch. But if you keep zooming out of that, don't don't we all become just little cells? Don't we all become just part of one single thing? If you zoom it out out of planet Earth and then look down, you can't. I can't see anything from uh, uh, from from out in the universe. You can only see this uh, blue circle, which is planet Earth, and that is just such a tiny particle from what we understand as being the universe, and what is out there i mean we barely know what's out there we all have this uh, uh those ideas which are obviously like the the ideas of m of basically everything that we know uh are based on evidence are based on studies but a lot of the things that we know and we take it as being uh the reality being true those are stories told uh, it can be politics, it can be society, money. Money is a creation. We believe that that piece of paper will deliver what is written there. The Bank of England will honor my £50 note. The Bank of America will honor that dollar note. Then you believe on that. But if you turn your back to that piece of paper, it's just a piece of paper. It has no value. It's a piece of paper. But we give value to those things. And anyway, all of those things are creations and, and, and some of them are... Yeah, well, there's, you said something that just reminded me of a, of a sentence, a phrase from a book called Course in Miracles, that it says, everything you see have all the value you give it mm -hmm. for you. You know, so everything, it, it can be the money, like money, like you said, but it can be anything. It can be uh, something that happened. You know, it can give a lot of value to it or no value to it. You know, like, let's say if some, if somebody have, is in a bad day and cuts you on the road and gives you the finger, you can give a lot of value to that. And you can even end up in a fight. And, and go like, how dare you, you know, how dare him just give me the finger, how dare him, then you're valuing it so much, or you can give no value at all, and maybe you won't even see it, mm -hmm. because you don't give any value to that, so everything we see have all the value we give it for us, you know, the, so it's, it's uh, that's a tricky thing, and what strikes me when you said everything you just said, you know, about like looking at the planet, you know, like just that blue dot and how how small are we and how many things are happening to our body and we don't even know. What strikes me is, okay, so go back to that image, you know, of that blue dot in, in the vast black um, void or whatever, which is the space. So when you look at that, at that blue dot and you try to imagine what you are on that, how, how relevant is whatever your mind is telling you that you need, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. how relevant is any belief you have, it's, it's nothing. It's just, it's, it's nothing, you know. So when you look at that blue dot, and now think about the things you worry, you know, because you worry that things should be different as they are right now, you know. I don't know, I should be doing something different than I am right now. I mean, come on, it's nothing, you know. It's just a belief. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a belief. One, one thing that help, ha, uh, helps me sometimes is put, putting things in perspective, you know? So let's say I remember at some point in my life I was struggling 
uh, like right back when we were starting doing the festivals and starting being a promoter, I lost a lot of money in one festival. And it was the money I got from my investor. And I was suffering so bad with that. I was suffering so bad. I was like, shit, I'm owing money, you know, and I might not be able to pay. And my, you know, I was just suffering with that and feeling like shit. Like, I'm shit. I failed, you know. I, I was feeling, I was very depressed. And then, and I, a thought came to my mind, which was like, okay, what if I tell you that uh, a thousand and five hundred years ago, this one guy from the Roman Empire was owing money to his investor? A thousand and five hundred years ago. Everybody died, you know, there's no one alive from that time. Would you care that someone in the Roman Empire failed like over a thousand years ago? Who cares? Mm -hmm. But that guy cared probably, you know, there might be someone over a thousand years ago that failed in something and was owing money to someone and felt like shit. Mm -hmm. But he died, his wife died, his kids died, grandkids, grand grandkids, everybody, everybody, everyone is gone. So was it worthy for him to suffer? You know, it doesn't, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't be responsible, but one thing is to be responsible. Another thing is to suffer because actually suffering and feel it feelings of guilt and shame. It doesn't help it. If anything, it, it, it freezes you, mm -hmm. you know, you just became, uh, you just become, how would you say, uh, there's nothing you can do. You became you become just just a suffering thing, you know. Mm -hmm. While it's different of, of being responsible, you know, and usually good ideas and and proactive uh, actions that gives results doesn't come from fear. They usually come much more from a place of peace, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so because you said the, uh, the blue dot and it's a perspective thing. And I like sometimes it's really good to put things in perspective of space and time because then you see how insignificant it is. You know, you, th you might think that's very important, but when you look, you know, it's, it's really not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been, uh, I've always been interested in, in things that um, basically help somehow you achieve a different level of consciousness and uh, I've been always uh, connected, very connected to spiritism and very interested on the subject. And more and more recently, I've been listening to podcasts and, and talking to people. I even attended a workshop which is um, in connection with basically substances that uh, make help some, not help, that's not the word, but they change the, the connections on your brain and somehow dissolve the prefront, prefrontex, prefrontex of your, uh, prefrontal part of, the, of, your, of your brain, which is what basically you identify, which is basically where the I, 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 the, the idea of identifying of who you are, this is me, and this is what I do, myself, my ego, etc., basically dissolves that. And it's uh, substances that are, they were banned many years ago. There's political reasons for that. There's pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceutical uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, which is massive, uh, has 
reasons and and the lobbying industry and all of that business uh i'm talking about uh magic mushrooms psilocybin dmt mm-hmm. which is uh, the principle of ayahuasca and lsd and then mdma and some of those actually in america uh mdma just passed phase three uh on the fda which you know uh gets into which means basically this the, the, the it's a drug that it's already been uh strongly uh, uh used and tested in laboratory and uh with um in people already you know soon enough it will be in the hospitals um Obviously, talking about substances that, and never encouraging anyone to try those things, but um, I'm talking about not on the recreational sense of it, because a lot of people use those things on recreational environments. They go to a party, they want to go crazy, and then they take this stuff. And sometimes, you know, things can go wrong. They really can go wrong. However, uh, they can go wrong uh, in when when you alter your 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 brain, when you alter your mind, when you create different connections different nervous connections on your brain which are there however we cannot we haven't evolved yet to reach those without those substances maybe one day we will who knows but for now we simply cannot but they are there they are here right now on my brain on your brain over there as well um when you alter those things, obviously, you don't know uh, the, the person taking those substances. That You don't know uh, if this person suffers from depression. You don't know if this person has any sort of uh, traumatic uh, mental disorders. You don't, you, you don't know. And then when you combine those things, again, things can go wrong. However, there's no case. There's, there was never a case because uh, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not possible for somebody to have, for example, an overdose. An overdose of DMT or an overdose of psilocybin or an overdose of any of those things that I just mentioned. Um, with all that in mind, do you have any understanding about uh, 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 those? Is it something that you, you've, you've heard about it? I'm sure you did. But is that, do you have any, any, any kind of uh, uh, ideas in, in, in regards of, of those things that I just mentioned? Yeah, well, first, I think that... Uh uh, like because you asked me before that about meditation and meditation for me in, in my experience and, and what I find most uh, results out of it it's it's about taking the time to be fully present and if your mind if your mind comes with thoughts and everything Watch them, don't resist them, but don't don't identify with them, don't follow them, and just be 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 focused on what you are. Be focused on that presence, right? Be focused on on, on that awareness that is constantly constantly here, that is kind of eternal, if you want it. And when when you meditate in that way. It's, and I'm not talking about trying to visualize anything. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, like uh, focus on your breath. I'm not talking about any on your breathing. I'm not talking about any of that. You can use that as two tools to calm your mind. But I'm talking about just being fully aware of whatever is happening and look at that awareness that you are. Focus on that. Focus on being the listener and, and the witness and, and be, with, be with it because it can recognize itself. When you are there, 
it's really really powerful it 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 opens so many things i don't even know how how to explain i mean it, it can unlock so many things and you really need to let go of control because that what you are doesn't need to have control over anything it simply is and when you try to control anything you kind of de-identify from that because control is not of the same nature of the, the presence of the awareness because it doesn't need to control it simply is when you when you when you try to control something you are assuming that you are more fragile than you truly are you don't need to control anything because you simply is you simply are so uh, I'm saying all this because what I read and I haven't I haven't take uh, much uh, I haven't take any of those things actually that you, that you, that you mentioned uh, but what what I read from people uh, that that I think are very much in that in that place that I just told you about and in that philosophy of meditation if you will what they say is that it can give you it can give you the same experience of being present, like I said, you know, wh when you are so identified with that, it can take you to places, and those drugs can take you to those same places. But what I heard is that when you do it through drugs, it's kind of, how can I say, you are going deep, but still you are in the grips of the mind. And when you get to that place by being present and being the silence, you also go to the same place, but you are not in the grips of the mind. You are more free. So it, it, one way, it's a kind of a way to bypass the mind, but is it still there? And in another way, you kind of let go of the mind and you transcend it. That's what I, that's what I read. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can't say by experience that's what it is. But that's that's what I read, and I've also been reading that. Reading that, you can kind of uh, you can kind of stimulate your brain to produce DMT. Uh, we we know the brain produces it when you're born and when you die, but there there's some uh, studies saying that you can stimulate it to to produce it oh, without wow. needing to take it. Yeah, I, I'm like <laughs> I have absolutely no. How do you say? I have absolutely no uh, problem with the idea of maybe taking a substance to try to experience something. You know, if that's part of your search for inner peace, just go ahead and do it. You know, it's not part of mine so far. It mm -hmm. Might one day be, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find I find it really really interesting. I don't I, I don't necessarily. It, it is something that um, I have close friends of mine that. Um, that just recently did uh, spiritual retreats, ayahuasca spiritual retreats, and and it has been uh, quite life changing in many fronts for them, for the better. And it's not necessarily something. So I do believe that some people do go for those things as uh, trying to find a an escape from 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 their lives and trying to find meaning yeah. for their lives. And and I don't think that's. Uh, necessarily the right uh, path to pursue because uh, it's not that a substance or a retreat will bring the meaning of life to the surface you know it's not that if that was the case that would be so easy right everybody that has troubles yeah. in life let's just participate on this 
uh, ritual, which is a very serious thing. It's not that as simple as I am uh, uh, putting on words now, but uh, people would just go for those things and then all of a sudden, okay, great. I got all my, my issues and my traumas and everything that is in the back of my mind that I didn't even remember existed anymore because it happened 20 years ago, but it's still there somehow uh, playing a role on, on my brain and, then, and therefore making me have actions repeatedly on my life because of certain events that I experienced back in the time back in the day um, I don't think you can simply just go through that and uh, and, and erase those things and I truly don't believe on that however uh, like hearing people like Tim Ferriss and 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 a lot of other like big guys in 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 in, in, in entrepreneurs in America and CEOs and people that are like trying to have an, a, a more holistic uh, uh, approach to uh, things like depression and uh, patients with terminal disease and cancer and things like that it's extremely interesting what's happening and and if you if you if you if you didn't i'm gonna share with you theo some some of those podcasts so you can uh, uh yeah, sure. listen a little bit about it it's really really interesting I have never done myself uh, a magic mushrooms or, or ayahuasca, but those things are, are things that I, I genuinely am slowly. And like I said, uh, going with the right intention, you know, going with the right intention, supervised, taking the right minimum dosage, you know, take do, going with the right intention to it, you know, with a clear mind, with an open heart and, and positives all over. It's not about taking and going in a park and frying, you know, on a Sunday afternoon. It's, it's about like yeah. uh, uh, seeking things that I participated to this workshop, like I just, like I mentioned it to you a couple of weeks ago, microdosing on LSD for runners. I was in this uh, music and running festival in, in Wales and um, there was a workshop delivered by this guy. I can't remember his name now, but it was really, really interesting. And what he was showing basically in many ways from studies and, 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 and other stuff is what I mentioned to you, the, the connections that your brain makes. Basically, they analyzed brains, you know, uh, normal brains without the influence of any alcohol or tobacco or, or any kind of drug and uh, a brain influenced by a microdose of LSD. And the connections that the brain does, are, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. The just, yeah, it, 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 so many different parts of your brain lit and so many different dots from one side to another get connected, which we right now are not connecting. You can't even yeah. even through uh, uh, well I can't I can't really say that because that I don't know but as far as my understanding goes on on the matter um, you can't even achieve that uh, under like normal circumstances not even with meditate meditation or, or or anything else and and those things they play a role in the sense of uh, helping people um, you know uh, somehow drop that pill that they've been taking for a long time just 
to keep them going you know people like are dependent on chemicals nowadays in a very strong way just to keep them going just to make them get out of bed and go to work because they hate their lives because they have uh, troubles with their families etc 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 which obviously could go all the way back uh, and talk about the fact that we don't deal with our minds we don't uh, go and see a, a psychologist or psychiatrist uh, 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 from early stages of our lives and I truly believe that we should all have access to that on a regular basis. The world yeah. will be a better place, a much better place. But then again, is that of an interest of of the general, is that of, a, of the interest of uh, the people on the top of the pyramid, the people that are trying and controlling in many ways the world, the massive industries that we have. Anyway, it's a very broad, broad subject but um, but I believe that there is a very. I mean, this is this is coming back. This it's inevitable. It's just like, uh, 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 for example, um, marijuana. For example, something that has been banned for many years now it's legal in many different states in America. It's something that I truly believe in the UK will be. Uh, we will be kind of like Amsterdam or even California within the next five years. I truly believe on that. MDMA now being used in hospitals in the US slowly. Magic mushrooms being legalized in Denver, Colorado and there's another state in America that just legalized them. And by legalizing, I mean they, um, they are legal now for being, uh, for, 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 for its use on uh, uh, environments that are extremely well uh, looked after by people that really understand what you're doing and the effects of it and, and there's a lot of observation going on but it's authorized already you know because it's proven more and more that those things they can actually help help so much without causing any physical mental harm to the patient and that's mm -hmm. pretty mind-blowing when you think about it you know yeah yeah I think that look like I said, uh, I think in the end, it's really all about finding inner peace. And we are all wired in, in so many different ways, so many different ways, right? So many different belief systems that each one of us have. So I think that some people might, might, need, might need that, you know, just because they are wired in a way that, uh, that will help them. So that's why I think that, that the the path or the traject trajectory of each per individual it's very personal and and like I said whatever helps you know if mm -hmm. if if it helps to have uh, an anti antidepressive or whatever just the, the person may need it you know they mm -hmm. might be feeling suicidal and that might save their lives so why not take it Oh yeah no of yeah. course I, I didn't mean to yeah. say and, that and at the same, No no I, I understand I understand what you mean but it's the same thing with uh, with mushrooms or whatever you know if that will take if it, it, look in the end both uh, like you said when you connect dots uh, different dots in your brain what you're doing it's you're generating experience right you're generating a new experience mm -hmm. and you can have that you can have that through drugs. You can have that through through experiences too, like to to like jumping from an airplane with a parachute. That gives you a, a sensation, right? And like I said, we are wired in so many different ways. And and some people might be experiencing something that it's giving them pain, and for whatever reason, and they may need uh, something 
like a drug that to help them go through that. And it's my belief that in the end, the peace is inside. Really, it's not coming from outside, from anything you take outside. But things from the outside can be tools, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it will work for for a time period, and for another one, it won't, mm-hmm. you know. Or maybe if you will change for something else. But the goal in the end, in my opinion, what we are all looking for, even when you don't know, we are looking to be in peace, man. We are looking to be uh, happy, if if you want, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And through through peace and through happiness cannot come from anything outside of you mm-hmm. because it becomes, it turns into fear. Mm-hmm. It turns into fear of losing it. It doesn't matter what it can be a person you love. It can be a situation in your life. If you if you think your peace and happiness are coming from a condition, external condition, you are doomed mm-hmm. because you, you cannot maintain anything in this world. But that's a challenge. Like I said, it's a challenge because we are wired to believe in so many things. You know, I mean, since you since you were born, you know, you you've been taught that you need this and that to be happy. By you've been taught that by your family, by the media, by people you admire. So it's a, it's I think it's a constant process of unhooking and letting it go and and just looking that actually everything it's good as it is right now. You don't. It, it's all good, but like but we just believe it is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But then, for example, like the highs that we have on life, you know, like when when amazing things happen, when you achieve something, they've been working really hard for it. When you have those experiences of, uh, on this case, playing shows, being on stage, and and doing uh, uh, traveling the world, and all of the excitement that surrounds that. Uh, it, is there anything that you try uh, yourself to do on a regular basis to somehow detach from that or disconnect from that? Because yeah, we, because we, because we all we all want to indulge and enjoy those experiences, and you do want yeah, to experience that feeling no, of yeah. And there's no problem with that. I mean, there is no. It's like look. It's like it's like eating, right? It's like let's say the the experience of being on stage. It's amazing. It feels great. And you know what else feels great? Sushi. I love to eat sushi. You know? But if if I get attached to any of those, I will suffer because the sushi is gonna end. I can only eat so much. Mm -hmm. You know, I can eat like I I think I can eat like maybe forty five pieces of sushi because I (laughs) need to you know. I like it so much, but I cannot eat forty six. So if I think that my happiness depends of eating sushi the whole time. I'm doomed because I just can't eat sushi the whole time, so I won't be happy. And the same thing with uh, things you want to achieve in life, like being stage, like we with a band and achieving so much and so happy. Of course, it feels great, and and I, I want more because I like it. It feels good. But if I think that my peace and my happiness depends on that, then then I'm gonna suffer because I won't be the whole my whole life on stage. It doesn't exist, you know, I need to sleep, I need to eat, I need to, you know, I need to leave, it's not just that. Mm-hmm. That's a good moment, it's a good experience. But that's it, that's what it is. It's a great experience and I love, I love playing music. It's one of the best experiences in the world, just like sushi is one of the best foods in the world. But that's it, you know, 
one thing is one thing, another thing is another thing. Absolutely. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Um, I want to be mindful over time, my friend, and uh, so I'm going to start to wrap this conversation up. I do have a feeling that we could just carry on, and I'm sure we're going to have plenty more opportunities uh, to to do this thing again and even um, obviously it's always I, I always love spending time with you and talking to you because I, I do uh, connect with uh, your way of seeing things and the way that you think and, and your beliefs and, and obviously all of the things that you brought into this conversation so insightful so interesting and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be being part of the roller coaster um, I would like to just um, get on with basically just a few simple questions it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a long answers but uh, things that perhaps uh, you don't get asked very often so for example what do you do to unwind what's the perfect lazy day on your books i love watching tv series are you watching anything in particular at the moment well i'm just finishing the last stranger things and look i like both i like the most blockbusters and i like the most like uh uh how do you say sophisticated documentaries i like both but i really like the block blockbusters you know and so i'm i'm watching stranger things right now uh just finished watching little big lie uh, big big little lies which is hbo amazing mm -hmm. just watch uh, chernobyl don't know if you watch it also from hbo i'm always watching some tv series that's what i love to do on the weekends you know mm -hmm. and with my girlfriend and and i like to cook too i love to cook that's one of my favorite things to do so there's that too nice um uh, what would someone who doesn't like you say about you? Who doesn't like me? Yeah. Uh, that they don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, people might say that I can be uh, very anxious, you know, and <coughs> I can be like, Let's say if, if, if we are doing something together, whatever, a project or whatever, and the ball is in your uh, court, as we say, mm -hmm. I will be pushing to give me back the ball, you know. So mm -hmm. I, will, I, will, I have, I don't like to leave for tomorrow what I can do now. So it's a little bit of anxiety and also a little bit of uh, not, not liking to have things left undone. Um, business-wise so I kind of I can be a little pushy with that mm. and and also I think my girlfriend would like me to be more organized with my clothes <laughs> just keep everything around so there's that too nice um, what are the things that occupy your mind more than other people hmm. uh, well in a daily basis yeah, it could be. Yeah. In a daily basis, I think I'm very, funny enough, I'm very occupied with food. <laughs> like, uh, because I do the cooking at home. So, of course, I'm talking besides all the business part of, of it, because I take care of a lot of the business of the band. So, I'm, I'm always, 
you know, handling some aspect of, of the band business management. But aside from that, uh, in the back of my head, I'm always like, okay, when am I going to cook tonight? Okay, maybe I'll stop at the supermarket at some point and buy this and that, you know? So yeah. I already did this this week, so something else tomorrow, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all thinking about that. Nice, nice. What's your view about money? Hmm. My view about money is is that I, I want more <laughs> because <laughs> simply because it gives you some freedom, you know, of not needing to worry about, I mean, our talk, it's becoming very food oriented, but <laughs> I, I, I like, I like to eat well, right? So, uh, I think money is a kind of thing that can help you to do stuff you want in, in our society, you know? So, uh, I like to have enough money to not bother, uh, with the brand of whatever kind of ingredients I'm buying to cook, I can just buy them with, without looking at the price tag. I think money, it's good in that sense, you know, because it gives you freedom because we organize a society this way. That's the only reason. But if you want to go more uh, philosophical about it, I think it's a, it's a, it's an instrument of of control, you know, and keep people behaving. Oh, somebody just arrived here. Cool. Oh, uh, it's uh, Mayo. Hang on. All right. Hey, Carl. I'm sorry. That's okay. No problem. Uh, I'll I'll add my girlfriend. Yeah, you're gonna add it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what so kind where, of? Where, where were we? We were talking. Uh, yeah, we were talking about um, uh, the the freedom of having money and being able to afford. Um, you know, yeah. buying all the ingredients so, that you like and things yeah, like that. In, in, in a more philosophical sense, I think money is an instrument of control and people keep people behaving because unfortunately, I think we are not uh, developed enough as a society to be moved by sympathy and 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 how do you say sympathy uh, uh, empathy sorry mm -hmm. we are not developing society you know to be moved by empathy and, and caring about each other and, and sharing you know so we are very egocentric in that sense and money kinds of keep keep everything in balance unfortunately we need it for now hopefully someday we're going to achieve a, a development of society that that we won't need it anymore Absolutely, yeah. I, I I totally relate to what you just said. Um, what kind of food then? <laughs> on the subject of food again, <laughs> what kind of food do you go for when you want to treat yourself? Ah, uh, I love sushi, man. I know I already mentioned that, but I really <laughs> like sushi. It's one of my favorites. So sushi would be definitely yeah. the treat. Sushi would definitely be the treat. Uh, I, I I also like some Italian, like I love burrata cheese, <coughs> uh, I love truffles, and but sushi, it's like, it's one of my favorites. Amazing, amazing. Cool, Theo. That's it, my okay, friend. Cool. Thank you so much for, for being on the roller coaster. Uh, I'm sure this is uh, episode number one with you of many that we will end up doing down the road. Um, I hope to see you soon. I will see you soon in September, cool. end of September. I'm going to be yeah. 
in Rio, Sao Paulo, Rio together. And I wish you all the best, my friend. And so, I'll speak to you soon. Too. Take care. Let, we talk soon. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation, this podcast, as much as I did doing it. So if that's the case, please do follow on Instagram at RollerCoasterCarl, myself at Carl Casagrande, on Twitter, same thing, Facebook, same thing. Uh, do subscribe. Do subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify. That's very, very much appreciated. Thank you and have a great, great day. Cheers. Bye-bye.